Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Pastor Jason, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Counting down the seconds. Yeah, the moments. We've moments. legitimately been waiting for the last two weeks for this baby to arrive. We had an appointment this morning and yeah, uh, still waiting. So I feel like the podcasters have been on a journey with us yeah, over they, the past <laughs> couple of weeks. They've been waiting as well. So. Oh man, that's so great. That's <laughs> so great. Well, we started a new series this week called The Bible Doesn't Say That. No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say God will not give you more than you can handle. The Bible does not say forgive and forget. The Bible does not say don't judge. The Bible does not say that this will happen if you have enough faith or would have happened if you had more faith. We're covering all that stuff in this series. Yep. But this week, we started with sort of an intro, and we basically said that before we have to know what the Bible says or doesn't say, we got to know what it is. Yep. We got to know what the Bible is. And you had a conversation with some friends and some people within our church, some volunteers who were helping set up at Easter at the Rogers, which was baller, by yes, the way, was. super fun. Awesome turnout and a great time in the Lord then. Tell us a little bit about that conversation and what happened and how that led into maybe birthing this series. Yeah, so just talking with them and and they're a younger married couple and they were talking about their friends who are um, like a Gen X or I don't even know all those terms, but I just always get intrigued when I hear church members saying that they're having conversations with non-believers or people that don't attend church and yeah. my ears just you know, sort of perk up on that. I, I get excited about that because that's like inside information, you know, and the gist of the conversation seemed to go that this younger couple would talk about what God's doing in their life or what's going on about a particular topic. And then their friend would say something along the lines of, that's great. You know, I just struggle with the Bible saying, blank about marriage yeah. or blank about women or something like that. And then and then this younger couple would have to go, okay, you know, I can kind of understand that, but that's actually not that's actually not what the Bible says or that's actually not what what Christians believe. And so Yeah, shout out to you guys by the way. You yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know who you are. Thank you so much for standing up for performing a little bit of apologetics there on yeah. behalf of God's word. Well, and and it wasn't even deep dive apologetics. Yeah. You know, it was just correcting really an an assumption that right. people had and and that kind of was the repeated pattern of the conversation. And I think that's probably much more normal, um, you know, that pattern of a conversation um, than not. I mean, even when I have conversations with people who claim to be, you know, hey, I'm an atheist or I don't believe in God, I always ask the question, you know, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. Right. And then at the end of that conversation, I can agree and say, hey, gosh, I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> right. You know, we, we believe in Jesus and we believe that God is like Jesus. Yeah. And so... Through that um, conversation, just mulling that over and mulling that over, I thought, man, this would be a really fun series to sort of launch into summer. Yeah. 
and dismantle some of these cliche sayings that you talked about. But before we did that, I thought, man, we've got to be agreed upon something here. Right. And we've got to be agreed upon what the Bible is. Yeah, man, that's good. And what better text to be in than Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read that for us, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about the differences between what the Bible actually says and then misrepresentation and how that comes from assumption and all of that. So Hebrews chapter 4, if you're joining us, press pause while you flip there and get to verse 12 and join us. And now press play that you're at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for <laughs> his word. So we talked a little bit after you talk, You went through that introduction um, on Sunday about the definition of assumption and how that kind of leads to um, a corruption of the Bible and, or at least interpretation, corruption of the interpretation of the texts. What assumptions, kind of assumptions do we make and how can they lead us to misunderstanding or misrepresentation? Yeah, the more and more I thought about that conversation, I think the key determining factor was is that um, this person was assuming what they thought Christians knew or they were assuming what they thought um, the Bible said. Yeah. And, um, you know, we didn't use the common definition of assume, <laughs> which is funny and very accurate, but the Oxford English Dictionary defines it as a belief or feeling that something is true or that something will happen even though there is no proof. Mm. And that is, man, that is spot on. Yeah. Because a lot of times when you're having these conversations, whether it be about faith or belief or what the Bible says, and and you correct or, or you say, hey, actually, that's not what Christians believe. This is what Christians believe. Then the conversation shifts because, of, because there was an assumption that they thought this was true, but it was based not on fact. Then what becomes fact you find out is feeling. Yeah. And and the sentence is inevitable. You can set your timer to it. You can you could read the correct verse like right in front of them. Yeah. And um oftentimes the conversation will shift to, and I even hear believers do this. Yeah, I know it says that, but I feel like. Right. But I feel like. And and what that really is is authority now. Now now we're basing our argument sort of off of authority. But I said that any anytime there's assumption of the Bible, it always leads to corruption of the Bible. Yeah. And the more and more I thought about that sentence, man, I think that's true like in general. I think that's true about people. Yeah. I think the moment that you assume, you know, oh, I know what those Republicans or I know what those Democrats or I know what those kind of people believe. Like anytime there's an right. assumption about something, you're you're inevitably going to corrupt that very thing yeah. that you're talking about. And, and I think when we assume stuff about the Bible, um, I think we make a ton of assumptions yeah. when it comes to that. I think, um, uh, you know, the common assumptions are, oh, yeah, that, that's an outdated book, yeah. or I can't understand that, mm. or that's too deep for me. Um, there's a plethora of assumptions yeah, when it comes sure. to the scriptures. Well, I, I, I talked about, I, I went through a few of these uh, as we started here just a few minutes ago, but 
I want to ask you what what is what is the number one thing on your list that you remember or you hear the most of people attributing a phrase or something to the Bible that it doesn't actually say. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's on this list that you've typed out here in your sermon notes, or maybe it's something completely different. But what's one that you've heard the most? Yeah, I would definitely say it's the God will never give you more than you can bear. Yeah, and it happens in a conversation a lot of times with somebody who's suffering. Yeah, you know, and and then they'll hit me with, "But I know, Pastor, I know God will never give me more than I can handle." Yeah, um, that one, or I think the Bible says. Um, you know, God helps those who helps themselves. Yeah. And the, the difficult thing, and we'll get into this, you know, next week in, in the series is those sayings come from a particular passage yeah. that's saying something, but inevitably, because we assume what we think we know what that passage says, yeah. those sayings are a corruption yeah. of those verses when yeah. it comes to that. Yeah, I think the one that that I've heard the most. Um, I'm originally I grew up in North Texas, and that's where, by God's grace, He saved me at a young <clears throat> age. The one that I heard the most and remember the most is, "Well, you, this didn't happen, or this did happen because you did not have enough faith." Yeah, and uh, to hear that in a time of crisis, um, I don't know if there's anything more crushing because uh, yeah. it basically says that, well. This is your fault. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Yeah, and and I know that that's not accurate and that's not true. And we're going to unpack a lot of that stuff in this series. So, <clears throat> so we talked about. We moved on to when it comes to the Bible. There's five types of people in terms of how we relate to the Bible. Like yeah. so, we're we're looking at not just what the Bible does and doesn't say, but we're going to spend time today, and we did on Sunday, talking about what the Bible actually is. And so, we really have to focus on how we, as as human flawed human beings, approach the Scriptures and how we approach the Bible. And so we we had five different kinds of people um, when it came to uh, how they approach the Bible. I'm going to run through them and then kind of go back and we'll talk about each one. Those who reject it, those who are around it, those who are under it, those who are in it, and those who have it in them. Let's talk about those who reject it. Now, I think in, in Southeast <clears throat> Missouri, we're in the Bible Belt. It's, it's less common around here to find somebody who would say, well, I just completely reject that. I won't listen to it or, sure. or whatever. Um, Absolutely. But I, th- I think it's around. But the, uh, I, I think most of like what you said on Sunday, most of Butler County probably falls into the context of those who are around it, yeah. those who are near it in proximity. And I think this would be the most common. But how can this be dangerous? To just be around it and proclaim like, oh, I'm a, I'm a faithful believer, I love God, I'm a servant to Jesus Christ because I go to church, because I hear these sermons, I'm just around it. How can that be dangerous? Yeah, I would actually consider those people who are, who are listening to sermons and in churches are actually those who are under it. Those who are around it, I would almost say, are people who are around their grandmother who goes uh, to church yeah. or, you know, a husband who doesn't go, but his wife goes. They go to Christmas and Easter, this, that, and the other. Yeah. You know, this list really did birth from when I was thinking about that conversation and just looking at the context of Butler County and our people and what our people deal with every day. Yeah. And just being a pastor for our people, what are our people dealing with? Yeah. And, you know, those who reject it, I think, is is, is a small minority um, yeah. in in our area. I think I think the majority is to some degree those who are around it. Yeah. But I think there's almost more of a majority of those who are under it. Yeah, I was getting those mixed up. So t- let's talk about those who are under it then. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Why is this 
Why? How can that be dangerous? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think those who are under it attend church every Sunday. Um, they hear the sermon. They're there on Wednesday nights. They're there on Sunday nights. They're there at every church gathering, and they never open their Bible unless they are in the church. Yeah. They never read their Bible unless the pastor's reading the Bible. They, tr- I mean, you could even go to training. You could be a board member and going to a church conference. You can, I mean, there is this subculture that happens in churches if we are not aware of what is taking place, um, that for those people to be under it, they're listening to it, they're not just around it, but they are under um, mm. the the very word of God. And what's so crazy is we said that Judas yeah. was under it yeah, and to some degree in it. Yeah. Judas went to the greatest seminary for three years yeah, um, and is not having a great day today, <laughs> you know? And so we also said that this list is the progression of discipleship. Yeah. Like this is sort of maturity in the marks of it. You go yeah. from rejecting it to being around it to being under it. And then and then there's those who are in it. Yeah. And um that that's a that's a good category. That's that's a category obviously that you should be in. There's this moment in Acts chapter 17, I believe it is, when the apostle Paul is preaching and um, I don't think it's actually 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Acts 17, beginning in verse 10. Um, Paul is preaching, and it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And now those Jews were more notable than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, mm. examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Mm. So like here you have a group of people who Paul comes and preaches to, and they're like, wow, he's saying that the Old Testament and that Isaiah 55 and all of this is about Jesus. You know, let's just say that. And so then they go to their Jewish Bible and they look it up. Yeah. Like they're in it. Like to be a good Berean is, yeah. is to be in it. Yeah. And, and I think a ton of us would be satisfied with that. Yeah. That, that we would say that that's the goal yeah. is, is just to simply be in it. Yeah. And, and there was a, I, I told the story in the sermon, there was a monumental moment for me of being on staff at a church, studying the Bible, having students ask me these questions and feeling like I needed to have all the answers. And I was reading these systematic theology books and all this stuff. And I'll never forget one of my dear friends just in his brash personality said, and why are you spending so much time reading books about the Bible and not just reading the Bible? Mm. And when he said that, just a light bulb came on. And so I just gave, I made a pledge just to read through the Bible every year, yeah. which I think now leads us into the last category. Yeah. The goal of being in it is the last category of those who have it in them. Yeah. And that's the game changer. Yeah, that's man. what Paul says in Colossians. Yeah. Let the word of Christ dwell in in you yeah. richly. Yeah. That's the game changer. How is that different? How is it different to have it in you as opposed to just being in it and under it and and declaring that? Like how is it different being how is it different to be in in you rather than being around it under it or or just in it? Yeah, I think the answer comes from the blessed man in Psalm 1. Yeah. Who he doesn't just love the law but he meditates on it day and night. Yeah. I think this idea and and, and I think it's important to note, and I almost said this Sunday, 
the last category doesn't mean that you're reading more Bible every day. Right. I think that's very important to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We think when we see this list to get to be the category, those who have it in them, that means you're reading 10 chapters every day and you right. study Bible and then you're doing this, that, and in the other. I think it comes from meditation, marination. Yeah. I think it's you're waiting in the, in, in the doctor's office, yeah. waiting for the result, and you're going over scripture in your heart and in your mind. Yeah. I think when it's in you, then things start to come out of you. Yeah. And Can that's we, what Paul says. I want to talk about that for a moment, the difference between the two. Because Jeremiah 31, 33 says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them yep. and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now the, the other side of that coin is like a G.K. Chesterton quote. He said, the poet desires to get his head into the heavens while the theologue desires to get the heavens in his head. Right. And he's just referring here to the blatant head knowledge versus how the scriptures can actually fuel our desire to know and love Jesus more, our yeah. hearts. So how is having the Bible in me different than just having head knowledge about the Bible? Um, or even like, like maybe the difference between your heart now towards the scriptures and then when you were reading all of the commentaries and the books about the Bible... Yeah. How is it having it in you in a heart in a heart transformative way different than just like a head knowledge and being able to keyboard warrior your way through Facebook right. and like tell everyone yeah. how they're wrong about the scriptures? I think we see all through the scriptures and especially in the pastoral epistles where Paul is telling Timothy, like there will these people there will be these people in the end times who will be in your church, Timothy, and they will love knowledge, but they will never arrive at the truth. Mm. And it's this infatuation. These are the Pharisees, yeah. right? This is what we're talking about. Right. The core issue is external versus internal. A hypocrite mm. is somebody whose external does not match their internal, yeah. their emotional health, their spiritual health, all of that. A disciple is somebody who is internally and externally whole. Yeah. This is... Um, you know, this is living in truth. This is yeah. walking in truth. Mind, body, soul. Yeah. And yeah. so dropping it from your head to your heart, I really think is a matter of love. Yeah. You know, um, and, and we ended, and I think it's okay to jump ahead, but Jesus says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures yeah. because you think that in them you have eternal life. Guys, Jesus is talking to the morally conservative party. Yeah. He's talking to the guys who had the first five books of the Bible memorized, all of this stuff. And he says, you search the scriptures yeah. because you think that in them you have eternal you're life. You're in it. He says, you're in it. You're in it. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yeah. Um, man, I think once, and I almost had an entire section of, of making the Bible something that it's not, but yeah. but I didn't just out of time, and I've done it in the past. Man, I think we turn the Bible into a textbook. I think we turn it into a science book, a cookbook. We turn it into all this other stuff. Yeah, and, baseball and, bat. And primarily what it is is God's grand story of self-revelation yeah. of, of who he is first and foremost in light That's of good. that. That's so. good. Well, and you mentioned this was this is the process, of the, the pro, almost like a progression of discipleship, this list of these five people and how we approach the Bible. Yeah. And we asked you guys, which one are you? Um, and I think that's a great a great launching point into this series. How do I approach the Bible, and how can I get to a place to where I'm not just in it, but it's within me, yes. and it's in my heart? Um, 
And you said this, before we can know what the Bible does or doesn't say, we need to know what it is. And you talked a little bit about golfing. And, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they tell us about that story. Ken Garland. <laughs> shout out to Ken Garland, the Kennett High School golf coach. <laughs> um, I, I played golf in high school, and the only reason why I played is because one day um, my freshman year, I saw all these guys and girls <laughs> leaving school at like 10 a.m. Sounds like you. And like, I was like, where, where are y'all going? going? <laughs> They were like, we're going to a golf tournament. I was like, that's it. I got to play golf. You leave school at 10 a.m. for the game, you know, because the basketball games weren't till late at night. But we always tried to happy Gilmore it and just right. go to the driving range, hit it as far as we can, do all of that type of stuff. And I'll never forget approaching the tee box and was getting ready to hit the ball. And Ken Garland said, Jordan, he said, lay that golf club in front of your feet. So I laid it down in front of my feet. And he said, back up. Now look where it's pointing. And when I looked at the golf club laying on the ground and then looked way out to where the flag was, man, I was like 100 yards left of the hole. Yeah. And it was because I had approached the ball wrong. And in golf, the way that you approach the ball, if you're four or five inches just tilted a little bit to one direction, yeah. when you go all the way out to the pin or the flag – man, that ends up being 50, 40 yards, yeah. you know, off of that error. And so the reason why I said that is because we don't want to assume anything. Yeah. And the same way that there can be an error in golf in the way that you approach the ball, I believe that there is a great error when it, when it comes to our approach to the Bible yeah. as to what is this thing. Yeah. And that's what sort of launched us into yeah. um, understanding that. What it is. What it is. You broke it down into three points for us that we see in the text. Um, very, very simply laid out. What it is, number one, it is the Word of God. Right there in verse 12, for the Word of God is. Right. Right there, the Word of God. And I love the translation um, there in the... in. Well, I'm sorry, this is Hebrew, so we're looking we're looking at uh, Hebrew here. So that translates, what no, did you say, to the utter... No, it's a Greek, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. To the very utterances of God. Right. Um, the Word of God, the very utterances of God. And and we talked about how God is not silent. I love how you how yeah. you reference Genesis one one. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and without void. And God said, yeah. "Let there be light," and there was light. That God is not silent. And uh, I've heard this one a lot. Maybe it's uh, uh, where it's attributed to the scriptures, um, but really, it's not. God told me that. Right. <laughs> dot dot dot. Right. Um, I, I, you said one time you've heard, you've had some. You've had some people, maybe you've liked to say this, or maybe you've said it, um, come up and say, well, God told me that, uh, you know, I'm supposed to preach today, or God told right. me that you need to say this. Well, it's fun. like, it's funny, God didn't tell me that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and God always tells people to lead a ministry. God <laughs> never tells somebody to be under authority. Yeah, or to bounce a baby and, and yeah. kids. fascinating nursery. to me. Yeah, I find it inter interesting that the majority of the times I've heard this, it's never from Scripture. It's like yeah. always an audible voice or a quiet voice in the head of, of the one who's saying it. And there's 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 credit there. I believe God can speak to us audibly, can speak to us in our time of prayers. However, I don't believe it's the primary way, the only way that God speaks to us. Right. Many of us believe believe that the Bible is like a culmination of words of God, but don't actually believe that when it's read, we are, quote, hearing God speak, as yeah. John Piper says. So if God's not silent, and as as we discovered this week, that when we hear this book read aloud, we're hearing, we're hearing God talk, what's a good biblical foundation for understanding that, that when we hear the words of this book, we're actually hearing from God? Yeah. And we kind of get into that general and special revelation too when we talk about this, but yeah, yeah, that's the term is is God revealing himself. And so in Christianity, we have a God that is self-revealing. 
um, you know, the first category of that revelation is general revelation. That's Psalm, you know, 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above his handiwork. That yeah. creation declares that there is a creator. But then we said that there is special revelation, and special revelation would be um, the scriptures and ultimately the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Now, there's yeah. subcategories in there as well. Yeah. I believe, um, you know, through the spiritual gifts, through prophecy, through, you know, through things like that. But when it comes to this idea that first and foremost, the Bible is the word, the logos of God, yeah. what we are saying, and, and we use this big theological term, we're saying verbal plenary yeah. inspiration. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, and, those are three very large words. Yeah, and that comes from a, a verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God yeah. and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so all scripture is breathed out, theonoustos, yeah. um, by God. And and that's where we get that term verbal, yeah. meaning meaning the very words. Yeah. We're, what we're not saying when we read, you know, Luke chapter six is, well, there's a general word of God here. Mm. What we're saying is, is the very words yeah. in Luke chapter six are the words of God, mm. verbal and then plenary. That means plenty. That means all the words. Yeah. Every word matters. And yeah. then inspiration, that means inspired. We we said that we don't believe in dictation, and this is where people get, get stuff confused. They yeah. think that when Jeremiah or Paul was writing the scriptures, that they were in a locked room humming, and their eyes were rolled back in their head, and they were just writing on this scroll. Yeah. God used men. Yeah. The Bible is 100% written by men yeah. and 100% inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Amen. He did not bypass the author's personality, yeah. do anything like that. And um, we said in Second Peter, it says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Yeah. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And Peter uses a nautical term there. So to think about it is to think about the wind in the sails of a sailboat carrying yeah. that along. You still have somebody controlling the rudder and doing stuff, but we right. really believe that God inspired them yeah. to do that. Well, I want to talk about inspiration for a moment because it's it's super fascinating to me because there are these there's a culture moving through Christianity, especially when it comes to worship and hearing from God and hearing God's voice. And it's almost elevated to the point to where, oh, if you if you have like a personal special, like a new category and special revelation of God speaking to you audibly, then you're worshiping in the right way or you're doing something right, you're singing enough choruses, yeah. you're all of that stuff. And that's almost attributed to like a miraculous thing and a miraculous moment. Sure. How does the means by which God has written this book, how does that glorify God more? Because I, I see it as more of a, it, it's it's almost like looking at um, at how rain falls out of the sky. Mm -hmm. Like 10,000 years or thousands of years ago, people would look at rain and just think, you know, oh, it's a gift from the heavens or, or whatever it is. Now we know that water has sure. transformative properties. It could be evaporated and then it could turn into clouds and then release once the pressure changes and all of that stuff. And in my opinion, knowing the science and and the, how that operates almost gives God more glory as an architect of sure. how everything in the world functions. Absolutely. So looking at the scriptures and how God inspired the authoring of, of these books and these words, how does this means of God authoring the scriptures display his glory even more than, say, like, 
oh, singing a chorus seven times and hearing a, quote, audible voice from God. Sure. I think what it shows, I think he gets glory because he used imperfect people to do perfect things. Mm, come on, man. So God didn't bypass, you know, um, what we said about these broken individuals, but but rather he used ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. And, you know, going back to what you said about in the culture and here, you know, in in some churches, the language is, you know, I need a word from the Lord. And I understand what that means. And I do believe I'm not a sensationist. I don't believe that the supernatural gifts have ceased. I like to say that I'm charismatic, but with a seatbelt, a little bit cautious (laughs) on some of that stuff. But the scriptures tell us to test everything by the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And and here's here's my great concern that oftentimes in those environments and especially I think in today's worship culture there is much more angst to watch a YouTube video of everybody in this room with you know, lamps that don't have covers on them with Edison <laughs> light bulbs. And man, they're really worshiping. Man, I, man, man, we got to do really, man, that's really, man, I really want to get in there. I really want to feel, I really want to do that. I want to get a word from God. Yeah. When our Bible's sitting closed on our nightstand. Yeah. And so I think it's, um, what's concerning to me is, is, are we familiar with where God has already spoken? Right. And he's already led us in that. And listen, I'm not knocking, I'm not trying to be a fuddy-dud or anything like that at all, but what I'm saying is, is I think that, I just think we highly underestimate what God has given us in the scriptures. Yeah. Well, you referenced 1 John 4. I'm going to read it, verses 1, 2, and 3 really quick. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God, capital S, every spirit that, lowercase s, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, is not from God. And I, I, rounding that off with what you were saying and referencing that, I think is a, a fantastic a fantastic anchor for us. If you're hearing something and you're wondering whether or not it's the right. will of God, you can go straight to the scriptures. Absolutely. And see if it contradicts God's word. And if it does, it's it's the devil. It's it's not <laughs> from the Lord. Amen. So we talked about special general and special revelation, verbal plenary inspiration. And then the last term that you use is inerrancy. The Bible is yeah. inerrant. What what does that mean and why is why does inerrancy matter? Yeah, this is a big dividing line and a little bit controversial. And there's probably gonna be some people listening to this who don't agree with that. But what we're saying when we say inerrancy is we're saying that the inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything contrary to fact. Mm. So it's important to understand, I I hate when when people say, the Bible's like the roadmap to life. Mm. Well, no, it's not. Like it doesn't, the Bible doesn't speak to everything. When you go and get your oil changed, they don't turn to Leviticus. Right. Okay. Yeah. But what we're saying is, is that what the Bible does speak to is without error. Yeah. And, and, and primarily what we're saying is in its original manuscripts that God has preserved his word. And, you know, we, and maybe we can show this chart in this, um, in the show notes, but you know, the term is when it comes to ancient literature is, and attesting of a document. And what that means is they see when the document was written, when that happened, 
and then the time span in between, and then how many copies of the original manuscripts that take place. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the New Testament time and time and time again always prevails. Yeah. I mean, we have original documents that are within 50 years. Yeah. Early fragments of the Gospel of Mark that are not 50 years. I mean, that's still a lifetime yeah. span. Yeah. And to understand in an oral ancient tradition, to have a document that soon is unprecedented yeah. and, and unheard of. I, and I love that graph of the historically attested documents because when you put the Bible up against it, it's not like the Bible just comes ahead. Because the, the way that they, and we'll have the, gra- the the graphic for you guys to look at, the way that they they basically attest the not the not necessarily the inerrancy or the or the accuracy of it but actually the fact that it actually existed is they take the amount of documents that they have um, in conjunction to how close it was that it was actually written or dated to be written and so the 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 amount of documents matters and the bible isn't just like a few a few count ahead a few counts ahead of all these other like you know plato or socrates or I think what what else was on there? Homer's Iliad. Yeah, Homer's, Homer's Iliad, Iliad's yeah. considered to be in yeah. ancient literature yeah. the, one of the most attested documents. The Bible, the Bible is tens of thousands of copies ahead. What is it like twenty five thousand or thirty thousand yeah. copies that we have that that goes that goes beyond that? And I, I love that because it that's that's just a practical scientific way that we can look at the validity of the scriptures. But I want to talk about something in terms of inerrancy that maybe some of our people might have questions. Maybe people who maybe reject the Bible or have have issues with the Bible. Maybe not so much as it being a historically attested document, but maybe more along the lines of, oh, the Bible to me seems to I feel like right. Sure, the Bible seems to contradict itself. That. If God is like Jesus, Jesus seems to portray this God who is fully loving, wants children to come to him, he heals the sick, raises the dead, all of this. And then in the Old Testament, God feels like, quote, to me, a God who is okay with slaying thousands of people and sure. and and using those means to, you know, glorify himself or that he seems like he's on Prozac or something. Sure. Like, where would you say that that they're getting that wrong, that that's maybe an, an inerrant view of Scripture, yeah. um, and how can that be corrected? Sure. So number one, um, the Bible is more like a library that you're holding. It's 66 books, about 40 plus different authors, three different continents, three different languages, but it's telling one meta narrative of a story. And somebody who says, well, you've got this wrathful, you know, are you an Old Testament guy or a New Testament guy? (laughs) That's somebody who doesn't understand the cohesiveness of the meta narrative of scripture which is creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. Yeah. Because the reality is, is we see the same wrath and the same vengeance in the New Testament. It just so happens that God absorbs that himself. Yeah. Instead of seeing that poured out on people in the Old Testament, the reason why the New Testament or the New Covenant is such a big deal is because we see God pouring that out on himself. And so we have to understand it's, you know, I think a great thing to understand is is if you dropped in into number six of the Avengers movies, you're going to be like, what? <laughs> right. This doesn't, why yeah, is yeah. Iron Man so stressed? Right. And he doesn't, he's not nice. He's not, and you don't understand. Yeah. There's been 27 of these things right. building up in light of this. And you've got to know the big grand meta narrative yeah. of yeah. that. And then I think 
you know, we, we can walk through those scriptures. There's cliche. There's like three or four areas in the Old Testament and the New where it seems to be like Judas when he hangs himself. It says that he hung himself, but then this next one says that his gut spilled out. It's like, right. which, like all of the, we can walk through each one of these passages and, and show how they don't. But most of the time, people who use the defense that the Bible contradicts itself. And listen, this is, I've been in the game long enough. This is my own experience. They don't have a problem so much with the Bible contradicting itself as much as they have the Bible contradicting them. Yeah. And, and I'll be real brash and real honest. Everybody has a problem with the Bible when it tells them to keep their pants on. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, that's just... I've, yeah. the, the majority of the time, I have sat at a table with a man who is getting ready to leave his family reading and saying, this is not God's will, and him saying, I know what that says, but this is what I want to do. I mean, most of the time it comes down to, I want to do this. And so I'm going to prop up all of these things. And and now, if you're a genuine seeker and you're a genuine skeptic and and you really want to learn about this, I'm going to lay two resources down for you. Yeah. The first one is is I would always start with the Gospels. Yeah. Um, and there's a phenomenal book by Peter Williams. It's about 120 pages called Can We Trust the Gospels? Fantastic book, and it just walks through really the Gospels of that and showing how from a historical perspective they're so reliable. Yeah. And then Myths, Mistakes, in New Testament Textual Criticism. This one's a little bit bigger, but we said that big questions require big work. Yeah. Um, this one does a great job of looking at um, a lot of things and especially tackling kind of the famous liberal scholar Bart Ehrman on yeah. some of that stuff. So those are two resources yeah. we'll put in the show notes. Yeah, one thing that I would say if you're a genuine skeptic or maybe you're even confused about whether or not God actually loves people or if he's on Prozac, seems like he's, he does sometimes and doesn't. The psalmist says that the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And he uses the lo- word love there on purpose. I think one of the beneficial things that you can do is go th- is read the Bible in its entirety, but focus on those first five books of the Bible as well, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and time and time again, you will see the Lord explaining to himself audibly to either Moses and Aaron or maybe in the book of Judges on, in the hearts of those that are judging Israel— he says time and time again that this is happening with the hopes that you return you return to me that I can be your God, you'll be my people, and I will love you. That the magnitude of God's love is highlighted so much more than it's made out to be in the Old Testament. Yeah. And I think that is a valuable resource to look at as well. Um, where were we here? We were talking about the Bible chart, and then we move on to the importance. If you reject God's word, then you reject the God, the God of the word. It's the second point yeah. we said is that it's not just the word of God, but yeah. that it's alive. Yeah, it's alive. It is alive. Living, um, it's written in the present tense, meaning continually living. Uh, and you reference 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 23 through 25. I'm going to read this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I love the story that you told about Voltaire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a a very famous story. I've never heard that before. Can you tell that again? Um, Just break it down for us a little bit, and then we can kind of go into... Yeah, just to prove, you know, the aspect that the scriptures are alive. I mean, guys, if if just from one standpoint, 
you step back and you look at the amount of time that the Bible has been attacked, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament um, together, that it has outlived kings and kingdoms over and yeah. over. And and quite frankly, there has never been any sort of book that has tried to have been banned like that. And especially yeah. when we look at the heartbreaking beginning of um, Christianity and when it comes to these guys like William Tyndale translating the Bible into yeah. the English language and Luther and them unchaining it from the Pope's pulpit and all of that stuff. I mean, there have been so many attacks upon yeah. the scriptures. Voltaire was one of the fathers of the Enlightenment, and that's a whole different <laughs> podcast and understanding in and of itself. And the Enlightenment is just the age of you know science and really this moral understanding of human beings that do we need faith? Do we need religion? Do we need any of this stuff anymore? And he was an adamant, adamant critic. Um, not so much a critic. He was an enemy of the Christian faith. He signed every letter with crush the infamy, the Christian religion, mm. had tons of quotes to say and basically said that if you read the Bible and you believed the Bible, that it was the highest form of stupidity. And then his famous quote was, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. And what he means is the only Bible that's going to be around is one in a museum that we look on and go, wow, can you believe that they believe that back in the day? Oh, man. Just like how we go to museums and see Neanderthals or something like that. Like, um, And the funny thing is, is that fact, you can Google it, is that when Voltaire died, um, he was a wealthy man and he published a lot of his own stuff. And the way that you publish your stuff back then is you had a printing press, yeah. which by by the way, was invented due to the Bible, was to, <laughs> right. you know, and so anyway, we could also talk about the Bible's effect upon art and culture, but, you know, the rainbow, that's our thing. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so when Voltaire died, the Evangelical Bible Society actually purchased his home and his printing press and printed Bibles in his living <laughs> room on, from the man who said a hundred years yeah. from now, the Bible won't be around. And I say that tongue in cheek, but I say that to say at what point, at what, what more evidence yeah. do we need? And to expose our rebellion against yeah. this word. Yeah. I why, mean, you why, know. Why is it important that God's word doesn't go away? Like, yeah. I why mean, is it important that, that it's alive forever? I mean, that, the scriptures alive. say the word of the Lord remains not just on this earth and while yeah. we're alive, but it remains forever. Why yeah. is that important? Because it's God's alive. Amen. God's God's not silent, and so He will preserve His word all the way to the end. It yeah. it, it is what He's left us. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is, is that um, in heaven, man, I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> I'm not going to be opening up my Bible, going, "Okay, guys, First Corinthians, those guys over there, the <laughs> Corinthians, um, that guy Paul wrote." Like that's not going to happen right. because then we will see in. Full revelation. Yeah. What the Apostle Paul says, now we only see in part, but yeah. then we will see in the whole. Yeah. It's alive, man. The living word. And the second thing we said this is that it is active. Yeah. And the word active, you said, comes from the Greek word energes, which active, effective, or powerful. Um, and Psalm 29, 4 through 5, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars 
of Lebanon. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how, I mean, not just active, but powerful energy, the, the, yeah. the word that's derived from that and and how that is important and why we see that, what we see in the text and also in Psalm 29. Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, I see its effect in my life. Um, I mean, I mean, the word of God in Jeremiah, he's, he says that my word is like a hammer that breaks the hardest rock. Mm. And I think in my life and, and before um, I became a Christian, um, you know, I had a hardness of heart. I mean, my dad was a pastor. I sat under. I was one who was around it and one who was under it, even in seasons there, one who was in it. But ultimately, at the end, it it was the Word of God. Um, Matthew 6.33 on a note card in my car that shattered and broke my hard heart. Yeah. And, and, and I see this. I get a front row seat at seeing this at Westside, that the Word of God does the work of God in the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. Yeah. That is what changes people. And people come up and say, man, it was like you were following me around with the video recorder, <laughs> you know, and people laugh. Around. But the reality is, is that has nothing to do with the messenger. Right. That has everything to do with the message, yeah. that it's active, that it's doing something. And listen, that's important for us to read and or, or to know when we read our Bible in the morning, that, that we come and we say, Psalm 119, 18, open up my eyes and I right. might behold wondrous truths from your law. And then guys, some, sometimes there's days where we read our Bible and we close close it and we go, A, I don't know what I just read, and B, I don't know what that just did. Right. But we live in faith and know that God's Word is doing something. Yeah. And and just to speak to, to pastors or people that are listening to this who are responsible for, you know, maybe a, a gathering on Sundays or anything like that, there is one thing that God has promised that will change somebody's life and it is the word yeah. of God. Amen. That faith comes by hearing yeah. and hearing by the word of Christ. Yeah, and man. there are so many worship gatherings and church gatherings and services where the only Bible that's read is even sprinkle Bible when it comes to the sermon time. Yeah. And talk about what that's been like for you guys and the worship team yeah, and, and, and how the Word of God is active when it comes to that gathering. Yeah. Well, I, I think a huge passage, I mean, you referenced it this week, um, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then we see what flows from that, teaching and admonishing with wisdom, singing together hymns and spiritual songs, and, and do it with thankfulness. I think, um, man, a huge moment for my life um, was when I transitioned from was when I transitioned from sort of volunteering at Westside um, and moving into maybe a little more of a part-time helm. And I, I got to be around the office a little bit more and got to be around you, got to see your your desire for the scriptures, your love for the scriptures, your your sermon prep, and you just keep shoveling me books, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. Um, and not just not just any old books. I think you've given me like four Bibles over the course Amen. of my there you time go. here. Yeah, man. Um, but no, bet- between that and then getting acquainted with some guys who who really have a good helm on on how they cultivate the worship ministries in their churches like Bob Coughlin with Worship Matters and True yeah. Worshippers and Aaron Ivey over at Austin, the Austin Stone and and all of that. Um, I, I've seen one common theme. It's that if the Word of God is not is not central um, to our focus on a Sunday morning, pointing to Jesus, if we're not if we're not pulling words from God's Word to sing back to Him, if we're not pulling words from the Scriptures to pray aloud together, and it's coming from solely within ourselves and mm. maybe an emotion or something from our minds. Sure. And 
we know that the scriptures teach us that there's nothing good that's within us, that yeah. all, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so so what we do in terms of, of worship at Westside, it's really taken it's really taken this pathway almost directly from Colossians 3.16. We always want to start, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We want to start with the welcome. We welcome everybody warmly with that cool call to worship that we do. Yeah. And then we will always, because God speaks first, God speaks first in the very beginning in creation, and God speaks first in our gatherings, and we want to be reminded of that. So that's why the moment we welcome you, we read a portion of Scripture either to you and have it on the screen or out loud together. And then we take moments in between songs um, or maybe even during a song. I know we did that with Yes, I Will a few weeks ago and read Psalm 23 aloud together, and it was awesome. And having a moment to teach, to admonish, and encourage one another. And we can't. it's even gone so far as to, like, like cultivate the environment of the room and like right we don't turn the lights off right like we don't we don't use fog machines and turn the sure. lights off cuz i want to see the person who i know has been battling cancer for 3 years raising their hands and yep. singing it is well with my soul amen that builds my faith that yep. builds the faith of those around them yeah and so ultimately when it comes to how we structure everything in terms of the worship gathering it's all pretty much it's all pretty much nailed and fastened to whatever is being spoken about, whatever the text is for that day. And we try to drive that point home. Yeah. One outline that I've always had is, is for our gathering is that we would hear the word, sing the word, yeah. pray the word, preach the word, and then see the word through the sacraments. Yeah. And the reason is, is because the word of God governs our worship to God. It's yeah. the governor for that. Yeah. And you said that God spoke first. He's the initiator and we're yeah. the responders. And the definition that we've always used is that worship yep. is a response yep. to revelation, yep. uh, to the word of God and to the work of Christ. Yeah. That's what we're responding to what God has done. Yeah. And it's the scriptures that that guide that and govern that. And yeah, man. man, I just think that the next reformation, the next revival, any of those things that will be taking place, um, I mean, we see in the Old Testament uh, when they discover the book, when we see Nehemiah, when we see all of this, it's always with the Word of God. Yeah, man, is when God reveals Himself yeah. in that in that sort of revival environment. A, a worship leader I love and respect once said, "This the Psalms were preserved for us, and it wasn't their melodies; mm. it was the words." It's good, man. The words were preserved for us. That's for good. a reason. It's really um, good. Going back to one last question, um, when we were talking about the Word of God is active, um, you said you've seen it in your life. Yeah. God's always present and at work yep. in, in everything that we do. We've learned that, and, and we're trying to anchor ourselves on, on that as an axiom, as a church, along with some other ones. If God's always present and at work, how can somebody within our church maybe see the power of God's Word displayed in their eyes if they're aware of it? Yeah. Like, if God's always present and at work, and we just need to be aware, what what's a practice or a tool that, that our people can go through to maybe be aware of God? the power of God's word displayed in their lives. Yeah, I think it's exposing their self to it. Mm. Um, and that's where, you know, there's we've got Bible reading plans. We're doing that together as a church. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big buckshots is at the gathering. Yeah. I think when you come and listen, I'm not going to dive off into all this stuff, but let me just tell you, the future of the church is not online. Come on, man. All right, so that's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, I think um, we can be back um, and and come to this, but I'll just leave it with that. But I think yeah. there is something, as, as Calvin would say, special that happens when the people of God, you know, are, you know, the Lord's people on the Lord's day in the Lord's house, reading the word of the Lord, empowered by the Lord's spirit. There's yeah. something special that happens there. Yeah. And it's and it's all about position. 
Am I positioning myself to be exposed to the Word of God? You know, we said Sunday, man, that the Word of God has never been more readily available ever in the history of the church. And so little of it has ever been read by God's people. And um, man, there is a crazy video that's on YouTube of um, a church in China. These people bring in these suitcases and they open them up and there's Bibles in them. Mm. And these people rush to these suitcases and grab them and they're weeping and they're, and I'm over here like, I have three in my car. Yeah. You know, and it's something that I think that we as Western Americans just chalk it up in this pile that we just take for granted. Yeah. And so really the goal Sunday was was for us to agree upon, whoa, this is what this is. This yeah. we can go a little apologetic route, this, that, and the other. But yeah, I think, you know, what we said was when we open our Bible, God opens his mouth. Yeah. Amen. That's what we can agree upon. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think there's still something that we can that that still scares me is that we can be these Bible-believing, Bible-toting, you know, I got the ESV study, I got the new this, that, and the other, and that John 5.39 passage haunts me, man. Yeah. That idea that we can search. We don't worship the Bible. Amen. We don't worship the Bible. Yeah. And the big idea was is that we point, the the point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. Yeah, amen. That's, that's the goal in light of all of yeah. that. And so um, I think that as, as a pastor, as a Christian, I always want to have that level of humility and uh, know that that it's the, the scriptures that point us to Jesus. Yeah. We don't worship the Bible in light yeah. of that. No, that's good. Well, you left us with with the the same question: um, which which one of these five people and how we relate to the Bible? Which one are you? Yeah, are you someone who rejects it? Are you someone who's just around it? Are you someone who's maybe faithfully under it or even in it, or is it in you? Yeah. Do you have it in you? Um, I'm gonna we'll we'll, we'll uh, excuse me. We will include uh, the resources that we mentioned in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. And, um, those will be in there, that graphic. And then uh, I think you mentioned a couple books as well. Um, yeah. One thing I would too, I would like to say, I, you know, I get questions all the time about Bible translations, this, that, and the other. Yeah. Yeah. I always say the best translation is the one you'll read. Okay. <laughs> so like I'm, but when it comes to the study of God's word, I think a word for word is great. I think at the end of the day, for the bang for the buck and everything else that's in there, there's an entire section in the back about what we're talking about, about the scriptures, is the ESV study Bible. Yeah. I mean, the resources in that thing are worth a lifetime yeah. um, in light of that. And you can find a plethora of Bible reading plans online. Just yeah. get in the word, man. Get yeah. in the word. Yeah. Pro tip, if you go to Crossway's website and sign up with your email address, they'll give you some percentage off on books and Bibles. You can get them there. Um, I'm going to close this out with God's word from Psalm 119. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read six verses from this psalm. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. 
to the end. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. Man. Amen. That's and amen. Good. Thank you very much for joining us uh, for this first dip into the Bible doesn't say that and mm. our rest of the sermon take on last week's sermon. If you want to know more about who we are as a church, you can go to westsidepb.org. You can worship with us online at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and our uh, you can worship with us at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in person and 11 a.m. online. Yes. Oh, yeah. This Sunday, we have That's got the... one service time. Yes, and that will be going through September. 10 a.m. Yep. So yep. basically, for the rest of summer, there will be one service at 10 a.m. Yep. And our live stream will be at 10 a.m. as well. Nursery, yes. kids' side, all of that stuff will all still be the same. Yep. And Mr. Tyler is going on a six-week sabbatical. Yeah. And so you're going to be getting to hang out with your fam, that yeah. third baby, and all that good stuff, which is going to be exciting. Yeah. And so for the rest of the sermon, it'll be interesting. We'll see. I yeah. might have some friends on here and interview, and yeah. or I might just get on here and yell and <laughs> rant and say everything I've ever wanted oh, to gosh. say. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm gosh. just kidding. But please tune in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, we'll be praying for yeah. you and enjoy your time. Thank you. My wife and I are immensely grateful. We appreciate it, and we love you, Westside. If you got any questions for us or for Jason over the next six weeks, you can send them to info at westsidepb.org. Send him all of your questions about who is the greatest rapper of all time yep. and why he doesn't have hair. Yes. We love you guys, and may everything that we say and do, as always, be all about the living word, Jesus Christ.